Welcome back to the reaction, uh, Golbazan, uh, recapping what just uh, transpired for us uh, against the United States. If you are listening to my voice right now, chances are you are a true Team Millie supporter. Uh, my name is Samson Tamajani. I have uh, with me uh, some of the classics of Golbazan and one special guest, Arya Alaverdi. Arya, what's up? Samson, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, yeah, tough, tough to take, but you know we have to move forward now. Yeah, uh, guys, I really appreciate us, uh, you know, banding together, making sure that uh, we have this for everyone. I also have uh, Sina Saimian from England, uh, broadcasting now. It's it's ten o'clock over there, guys. Thanks for joining me, by the way. Sina, what's up? Always a pleasure, Samson. And last but not least, we also have uh, Nima Tavai Rudsari, a very uh, a well accomplished writer of Syria, uh, as well as just a, a deep wealth of knowledge of European and Iranian uh, football in general. Nima, what's up? Thank you very much for that um, introduction. And it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. I think your coverage of the World Cup Gold Byzantine, give yourselves, a, give yourselves a round of applause. It's been top notch for the last and I'm not just talking the World Cup now the last few weeks I'm talking ever since we qualified for the World Cup your coverage in English has been second to none thank you Nima yeah I mean that's uh and that's what we're here for win loss or draw coach or no coach uh <laughs> you know controversy or no controversy there's always going to be controversy so without that where would we be uh, yeah, and guys, if you want to follow Nima, he's at Nima, T-A-V-R-O-O-D on Twitter. Well accomplished there. And Nima, you're also, uh, you're also help uh, run uh, Sempre Inter uh, podcast. Is that right? Um, yeah, so basically, uh, I, start, I founded sempreinter.com, which is the uh, English news, the biggest English news site on Inter Milan. We have a podcast called Studio Inter, but I'm also one half of the Italian football podcast, which I run with Carlo Garganese, which we started two years ago. Right. And... Are you on for the Porto Inter game then, for sure? Yeah. Yes, I am. It's, I'm really looking forward to that. And I have a feeling that, that given how Inter are, and <laughs> I have a feeling Porto and Conceição and Taramia are going to make Inter pay. <laughs> but I don't want to think about that. I'll, I'll take one misery at, at, at a time. Let's start with this one. <laughs> Well, we might as well. I mean, by the end of uh, this episode, we'll definitely have our uh, uh, have our uh, eyes uh, uh, set on more of the Champions League play of of Iranians. But for now, we're getting into uh, what happened today. Iran j- needed just a draw. Uni- United States needed to win, and the United States came with the win from Christian Pulisic, a very uh, very creative, very intelligent play set up that the Iranian defense was simply not ready for. Uh, we had a couple of guys watch it, watching by. Uh, you could one or two voices could say that that Rezaian, uh, the starting who got the start of the right back, uh, had a first row seat uh, to Pulisic getting the uh, goal in front of and uh, in front in the first half. And Iran never seemed to really uh, gather forward any true momentum except for the last minute and stop its time in which they appealed for a penalty. It was not a penalty. And that is indeed how it ended. Uh, we first want to, uh, unless anyone wants to jump in here real quick, just initial reaction, anyone just right off the bat uh, before I get into the lineups and everything. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a, 
it was a poor game for Iran. No doubt about it. We didn't play well. But I think a lot of credit has to be given to the US. They played very well. They they you know, they started the game the way they should start the game. They did what they had to do uh, and they got what they needed. They got a point and they won the game. So uh, from a US perspective, they did their job. Uh, Iran, on, on the other side, on the contrary, they just didn't look at all, you know, ready for this match, you know, um, in the attacking third, not really creating too many chances. A lot of that, again, credit to the US defence, really stood strong, defended really resolutely and well. Um, our front three, lacking speed, lacking pace, lacking invention, a midfield, again, uh, I think, as I said on the spaces, our, our midfield is, is just not to the standard it should really be at. We don't produce midfielders in Iran the uh, same way, the, for example, the, the US do. You know, we, we don't have players playing in, for, for instance, playing in Juventus, playing even in Valencia, for for instance. we got a guy like Saeed playing in the second tier of Danish football. And that's not good enough, you know. So, um. Yeah, it just wasn't good enough. And I think the US just really controlled the game and uh, looked really strong. I think in the first half, the United States, I mean, if, if we're actually talking about teams that have been pressed in terms of how they look before the tournament and how they actually perform, the United States is right up there because let's remember they had a dreadful qualifying campaign. They were, nobody believed in them. They were so heavily criticized, so questioned. Barbara Holter, all the players, I mean, remember the whole incident with Weston McKenney during COVID and, you know, th there was so much, so many problems around this team. But I remember speaking with some friends, American friends, who were just not feeling it. They were they were convinced the United States were going to fill and they finished last. No points, no goals scored. And I said, look, this is this is not, you know, the United States men's national team is used to being questioned, regardless of who they are. But they always get it to work. They always come together. And I think this particular group, they're very young. And they already play at some really good clubs and they already play at a high level. And above all, they are a high intensity, high passing, high passing tempo team. And we saw that against England. We saw that against Wales. The problem is you can't play it that nobody can, you know, play at that pedal to the metal for 90 minutes. The question is, of course, how do you balance that and, and try and learn to, you know, to control that over 90 minutes? And you can see that it's, it's a very young and experienced team. Um, today, they almost did what they did against Wales. Great first half, poor second half. But against England, I thought they were really impressive. And it was after that game where I felt like I, I, I was like, nah, Iran aren't winning this team. We're winning against this United States team. Um, and, but again, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think Iran can leave with their heads held high, and, and I'm sure we'll get into why and, and all that uh, later on in the podcast. Sina, you haven't said much as of yet. How are you holding up? Still that just no. Um, to be honest, I'm I'm going to wait to give my thoughts when you get into the questions, but because I agree with with everything the guy said, um, especially with what Nima said towards the end. You know, I think when the draw was made initially, we looked at the US game with the expectation that, you know, if we are to win a game in this group, it will be against the United States, mainly because of the qualifications and the poor result that they had. But since then, a lot has happened within the Iranian camp and a lot has happened within US, especially in this tournament. So again, agree with what Nima said in the sense that, you know, in, in kind of today, someone asked me, are you, are you feeling nervous? And I said, weirdly, not at all, because 
I, I was I was extremely nervous against England and I was against Wales, but for this match I was I was genuinely really relaxed even even during the game because I thought to myself, you know, we're either either this is going to be a historic day or we're not going to go through, in which case it will be a respectable tournament considering the circumstances and, and everything that's happened. So that's where I am at the moment. But in terms of the game and, and the smaller details as to what transpired, I'm sure we'll get into it very shortly. Yeah, just uh, just in case anyone listening is is wondering, no, I was not just bawling my eyes out. That's not why I sound like this. It's just a cold. Although probably by the end of tonight, I probably will want to feel like that. Just when it all sinks in, the historical aspect of it, the fact that this is a team with the average age of twenty nine. Four mm. years from now, several players will be past their prime. Probably this is probably the last chance for a lot of players, and mm. that's painful. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is, and especially. You know, this project, uh, the Kairos project, is is ended now. I mean, we can say that. And it started about 10 years ago. And it's a, it was a beautiful project. I think of all the of all the teams that I have followed in my life, I mean, it was appointed on I'm seeing now my my cheat sheet, 4th of April 2011. It's 11 years in, and this was his generation. These are his boys, these are his lads. Um, and it has ended, and and they are a likable bunch. They are a very charismatic. He's a very charismatic person. He's a very likable person. Um, I have fallen head over heels in love with him and these this team and these players and and, and the stories that they have created to, together with with us as fans has been so beautiful to follow. So yes, it is. It's sad. You know, it is. It is an end of an era. It is an end of a cycle. And and what happens now, we don't know. But yes, I do understand the feeling of sadness, the feeling of almost like a separation anxiety that you're expressing there, because we have been with these players, the Taremis, the Asmums, the, you know, um, the even though Ezatoloi is not that too old, but you know what I mean? Like all these young, all these players, we've grown with them, we've watched them. Uh, you know, the, from the goalkeeper, who's a character in and of himself, to all the way up to the striker, they, they are characters and they are lovely. They are people who have won our hearts, or at least my heart. And so, yes, it is an end of an era. It's an end of a cycle, um, and it is it is a bit painful whenever that happens in life, not just in football, but that's life and that's football, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see from from that uh, way. But I, I was just reading right now. I was a little bit distracted reading about how. Uh, Kristen Pulisic had to be taken to the hospital for, uh, you know, throwing his body out for his team. And, you know, I just wish that could have happened for us. It seemed like uh, we didn't exactly play for that. We played for uh, maybe uh, opportunities of set pieces or, or, or a penalty. Uh, Ari, I'm curious what you what you thought of, of maybe this, the star play for uh for Iran, because the stars for the U.S. definitely came to play. In fact, probably uh, probably Dest or, or McKinney. Got the uh, got the player of the match, uh, man of the match. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. Um, again, I thought the midfield for US was fantastic. They controlled the game. Harami didn't do a lot today. Um, tried to get a penalty towards the end of the game. It, it wasn't a penalty. Uh, it, you know, I, I just think that again, it's, I can't really say much else other than the fact that US played really well and we simply did not. Hit expectations regarding when I say expectations, I mean obviously we'll get on to it now. Then but might as well because I think it's very important to speak about this. You know what's happened leading up to the World Cup with regards to the protests in the, in in Iran and outside of Iran and uh, 
the pressures on the footballers to to show solidarity, show support. They did it against England. They didn't do anything else really going forward in the other in the other two games. Um, a lot of fans, a lot of Iranian, Iranian people, uh, you know, definitely on the players on social media, not making life easy for them at all. Now, whether that's right or wrong for you to decide, but uh, definitely you can see that in the first game against England, no doubt about it, the mentality, the psychology of the players wasn't there. Against Wales, they shut it out really well, and I thought they performed well against a, a pretty subpar Welsh team uh, who I thought were beatable as soon as I saw them play against uh, the US and against, obviously, um uh, England, uh, England today they, they lost 3-0 so you can see that they didn't have a good tournament at all but against US today I still feel like there is that level of the, the psychology of the players not being to where it maybe could have been uh, now I'm not trying to blame anybody but at the same time I feel like um as Stephen Betashore put it in the last podcast, these players are under a lot of pressure. They've been told what to do, what not to do, what to say, how to act. And unfortunately, when you add that in with the lack of fitness, some of the players with a lot of injuries, the lack of form of some of the players, player, again, players like Saeed playing in second tier of Danish football, uh, when you add everything together, I think this result, 1-0 against US, isn't actually that bad. When you add on to what's happened, what how they've be uh, how they've uh, how they've experienced these last months, um, it's not a bad result, and it's actually even though we only we ended the twenty eighteen World Cup four points and this one with three points, and it's actually well if you look at it on, on points, it is a downgrade. I don't think it really is that much of a downgrade because ultimately, even though that Spain, Portugal, and Morocco group was a lot harder. That team was not under that kind of level of pressure. Again, whether no. it's whether it's right or wrong, but this team was. No, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but at the same time, I feel like this team was not able to focus on these on these games. It's the well, reality. I mean, to be honest, if we just re- I remember when we were speaking, Aria, I think it was in June. I think it was June or May when they that the game against Canada was cancelled at the friendly, and we were speaking about how. Well, what about that? <laughs> you know, what are they going to do now? I mean, that was a window to, you know, and you, you know, you and everyone else were correctly criticizing Scottish's training regime. We, you know, they were ripping each other apart. I mean, it's been if you look at just the past four, five, six months, how the the preparation, what they have gone through from, I mean, the new the new FA, the new president of the Iranian FA being appointed at the end of August, uh, and then. Kairos coming back after Skocic was sacked after making himself pretty much persona non grata with, with half the squad. Um, then Kairos comes in and there's no one to play. They've somehow managed to find teams to prepare just a few weeks before going to the World Cup to play against. Then the whole Mahsa Amini protest and everything that happened then. I mean, they're human beings as well. They have family, they have friends in Iran who, you know, they see what's happening. That makes them sad. You know, they're human beings. And then the barrage of abuse that they've been the victims of on social media daily, day in, day out. Um, the, the the non-stop finding themselves in the middle of as, as political pawns, as athletes, which is so unfair on them, in my opinion. Um, 
I think, and the, you know, and, and then, you know, losing bad like they did against England, looking so mentally broken and dejected and, and heartbroken. And then to find the mental strength to bounce back and beat Wales in that way. Again, they should have probably won 4-0, if we're honest. Um, and and then to there was just nothing left in the tank. I mean, they're only humans. Qatar have had like how many years to prepare for this World Cup? I mean, I'm not saying again, I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying. If you take everything into consideration, I can't be disappointed. I really yeah. can't. So, you know, I, I want to ask you, because obviously, you know, we've been following the national team for a number of years now. And, you know, you, you, you compare the previous World Cup to this one, you know, where do we go from here now? You know, is it is it a backward step or is it just a sideward, sideways? Uh, you know, it's not it's not a big deal. Where do we go from here? I think firstly, when we look at the current situation and, and you know, I'm sure all of us have, have had a lot of opportunities to kind of give our thoughts and, and where we stand on it in the in the last few weeks, especially. At the end of the day, what is happening off the pitch automatically takes priority over, over the football side of things. That's that's the reality of it. But I think where the supporters or some section of the supporters, I think, have somewhat failed is finding that right balance between echoing the messages in, in Iran and, and what's happening in the streets to to supporting the players and making sure that they are also in a good place when, when approaching these games. And also, look, you know, this is, again, the situation we are in. We kind of knew that before the tournament. Um, K-Rush knew that before the tournament. I think he tried to isolate the players a little bit too much to what was happening on the outside. And I, th- and I think seeing that atmosphere against England shell-shocked them. And I think mentally they were, they were really damaged stepping on that pitch. And as Nima said, it took an absolutely monumental effort to turn that around because there is a lot of factors in there. From a footballing side, there is conceding six goals. It doesn't matter if you play in England, Brazil or Maldives. It makes no difference. You can see six goals and you want to go again and, and play in four days. That It takes a lot to, to come back from that. On top of that, everything that's been going on off the pitch, and then you add to that the, the players not singing the national anthem and then the pressure. So now they're getting pressured from the authorities and the supporters. So it's 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 not ideal. And as both of you guys alluded to, considering the circumstances, the results at the end of it, when we look back and we take a step back and, and look in, it's, it's an acceptable result. It's, it's respectable more than acceptable. And um, I think having said that, though, Again, in hindsight, looking back at the US game, US were superior, especially in the first half. Uh, but I think when we, again, when we get to the smaller details and when we come to discuss the actual match, we'll, we can kind of discuss how we could have um, challenged that and challenged the US a lot more effectively. Because I think certainly in the second half, they were there for the taking. And I think, again, with the benefit of hindsight, um, we if we approach the game a little bit differently, and the changes maybe a little bit were different in kind of different um, sections of the game. Maybe we could have got a draw out, out of it. And even then, again, doesn't take anything away from the US. Um, and I think a draw would have been an amazing result for Iran. But like I said, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. I mean, just looking at the lack of energy that you were talking about being drained mentally. I mean, when have you ever seen Mehdi Tarami, in the, as in the first half, be one-on-one with the goal and not? go for it run towards goal with the ball instead he's waiting he's going with the ball he's he's driving it somewhat at 60 percent forward that to me is just tells me a team that is i mean if he's drained 
and he's supposed to be the guy who does it for Iran. I don't know if I, I don't know if I I mean I I get what you're saying, Nima. I I do understand what you're saying. Yes, the players look dejected, sure, but again, I personally have to give a lot of credit to the US because I thought they defended unbelievably well. Tim Ream, who plays for Fulham, who's a was a veteran in this squad for the US, played unbelievably for ninety minutes. He played unbelievably for ninety minutes. Carter Vickers, who plays for Rangers, who. Everyone in, in Scotland has been saying this guy should be playing for the US, should be starting. Didn't start the first two games. Zimmerman, who has been ahead of him, he came on in the second half. But he was fantastic. He defended unbelievably well. You know, Dest and Anthony Robinson, again, played fantastically well. So give them give them the credit. I think even though, yes, we are a, we, we have a strong, a strong striker in Tarami, and yeah, he could be dejected and potentially not right psychologically, whatever it may be, but they need to do their job. And I thought the US absolutely. played unbelievably well. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm not I'm taking not anything away. I'm not taking yeah. anything away from the United States. Don't get me wrong. I think uh, Tyler Adams, their captain, I really, really like the leadership qualities that he's shown this World yeah. Cup. And I think, yeah. you know, Musa and Weston McKinney, uh, I mean, this is a team that works, the US team works for for one another. And they have a very clear idea of how they want to play. I know I agree with everything you said. Um, yeah. I just think that it, I was just looking at it from an Iranian point of view. And I yeah, think yeah. in order to be, you know, this, this is always an opponent to take into consideration, isn't that? Hold on, Samson. Nima, just let, let, let's from now make the podcast just question, answer, question, answer. Samson, you ask and then one of us answer. Just get ask each of us a question. So do it that way now. Yeah. Rather than each giving us a monologue, just ask a question and then we answer it. Yeah, or... or uh... I agree with what you said. I, especially watching this U.S. team the last couple of years, I don't want to take anything away from that. I do think they played a, a continuation of their play against England. They defended very hard. They fought very hard. They came to play and win every single 50-50 ball and play all out for a World Cup performance, which is what you would expect. The difference is I think they had a little bit more in the tank and a little bit more desire with less distraction, with more complete support. Uh, on this point you made about Tarami, I, I want to ask, because I do agree with what you said, is it unfair to, re to demand more like desire, just a little bit more of Champions League, Makes the targeting. Um, no, it's not unfair. I mean, look, he he is no doubt about it, the best team player in this in the squad. So you always want to demand the best from the best players, right? That's that's just the reality. You always want to demand the best. You want to make sure that they're performing so the players around them can lift their game, right? Because if they don't lift their, if they if they aren't being role models for everyone else, how can you expect the the lesser players, if you want, to perform to that standard? That's just a that's just that's just normal. But again, I don't think that the kind of player Tarimi is. He's a he's a fantastic player. Right? He's got everything you want. He can he can score goals. He can assist. But he also needs his teammates to be playing at a good level as well. At this point in time, Tarimi's playing in a team where he really is carrying this team. Sometimes you know, like against England, he carried the team. He scored two goals in qualification. A lot of the times it was between him and Osmond taking us through matches, you know. Um, 
sometimes even to the point where we, that was the only way we could score goals was just get autonomy and he'll do something about it. In the World Cup, it seemed like Kairos was trying to find new avenues, but I just feel like the way Kairos has chosen his midfields this World Cup it hasn't helped Harimi at all. Like, for instance, he's played Haj Safi, Nurulahi, and, and Ezatulahi in midfield as a three, which on paper, you look at it, you're thinking that's a defensive-minded midfield. It's going to get probably a clean sheet at the very least, and potentially you might concede one goal, but you can maybe create some chances here and there. But Taremi plays for a team like Porto, where he gets a guy like Otavio constantly assisting, constantly getting in passes. So he needs that service. And Taremi, he's he he is a great player, but he can't he can't be leading the team against a defense like the US, who are on top of him for ninety minutes, and you're expecting him to then skin every single US player. It's not going to happen. You know, you can't expect somebody to do that. So. Again, he he had a great World Cup. He played really well. He got two goals. Uh, sorry, he got yeah two goals and an assist. So for him, it's a good World Cup. For the rest of his team, for the majority of the rest of the team, not the best uh, performances. I've got to be honest. Yeah, talking. Yeah, I was uh, about to say, Cena. We're talking oh, about a little yeah. bit about disappointment, uh, especially from the stars. Who do you think, fo- football wise, who deserves? Most of the disappointment from this from this match. I don't think there is any individuals that that come into my mind when I when I think about this question. I think, again, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back at the game and looking at how US played in the first half, which was really high pressing, and you know, uh, audio talks about Tim Ream and and um, the other centre back whose name has Carter escaped Vickers. me. Yeah, Carter Vickers. Um, more often than not, it was them two with Tyler Adams, who was who was kind of sitting as, as the defensive players and the rest of the team were attacking. And you know what, going back to the spaces that um, audio held before we started recording this podcast, a lot of people were coming on and, and suggesting that Kairos approached the game a little bit too defensively. Now, I think there is an element of truth in that. However, US made us more defensive than we aim to be. If you look at the goal that we conceded, just at the kind of the individuals of who were involved, Ptolemy was tracking back Dest at the at, at right back. Now, that's not where you want Tarimi to be. So that, and I don't think that Kairos was planning on that happening because usually what happens, and, and we can go back to previous tournaments and into the um, kind of uh, previous games with Kairos as well, not just in this tournament, the previous years, he tends to play left-footed or left-sided player on the left side of the three midfield, with that either being Hosefi or Amiri, as we've previously seen. The purpose of that is to allow them to track the fullback or do more of the legwork for Ptolemy than to stay behind as the as the kind of uh, the um the attacking resource up, up front for, for us to, to look to. So when this happens, when Ptolemy, we rely on Ptolemy to track the fullback, I think that shows an element of, of us being taken by surprise. And then when we look at the lineup, I wonder, and then again, looking at the halftime change of Osman going off, you know, we know Osman is unfit. We know we need a draw and we know it's a very likely possibility that we may we, we may go behind. So why not start Osman on, on the bench? Why not play with an additional midfielder? Keep mm. it tight in midfield because their runners from midfield were extremely difficult to track as well. We were, we were slow. 
We were extremely slow. Physically, we are strong. But if you are unable to keep up with the runner, whether it's on the ball or off the ball, having that physical ability in terms of the physical strength makes no difference. There was a lot of times on the left-hand side where Reza Yan is actually, I think, one of our fittest players. But from an agility point of view, he was getting turned very easily. And I think the, when I was mentioning before that there was a way that we could have counted this, that's what I'm referring to. The first half, I think we could have been a little bit more diplomatic with the way we played, because even on the ball, Osmond and Toremi were outnumbered. There wasn't quality balls coming in, and we were genuinely pinned back for the entirety of the half. So I think an extra midfielder would have been good. And then, as Nemo mentioned, in the previous games for US, second half, they usually, they usually take their foot off, because regardless of how fit you are, as he said, you know, you, you can't keep that up for the for the entirety of the game. And even if you could, you wouldn't want to because you're in a tournament that you play a game once every three days and you want to play your best team over and over again. So I think we could have approached the game slightly better. And then in the second half, the only impressive play that came on for me was Jalali. I mean, Ansari Fad was extremely disappointing. I He wasn't making any runs. He wasn't challenging for the headers. He wasn't showing for the ball. I, I genuinely did not understand what the purpose of him coming on was. I, and I then, forgot again, he was there. Yeah, exactly. And and what really, really disappointed me, and that disappointment turned into pure frustration at half time was we made a substitution with Mohamed going off five minutes before half time, and he's brought on Ali Karimi. And then he's made another change to bring in an additional midfielder in Saman Qudus. So why not bring Qudus for Mohammadi and allow Har Safi to go left back? Why the addition of, of, of Ali Karimi? Why did we need Ali Karimi in there in the, in the first place? I think, again, it's all Sorry, benefit of. Cut you off there. So, you know, he, he actually put Qudus on the, the left wing. For the game, he actually which, put Torabi in midfield, which was so weird. I don't so know why. Torabi came. Torabi came later on in the game. You're right. Godus yeah. Godus came on, went on the left, and and the reason I say this, the reason I said he shouldn't have started with Osman, was because defensively and defensively, not in terms of the low block, but in terms of being on the front foot to be able to press, we looked better with Godus there. So I think he, he again. Looking back at the game, I think some of the decisions regarding the lineup could have been could have been better. And going back to the 2018 World Cup, I know all of us have mentioned about the mental fatigue because of everything that's been going on. But from a physical standpoint as well, there was a lot of rotation in 2018. We we didn't see the same lineup against you know the same lineup essentially in any of the games. And obviously in this game, putting inside Bayram Van for, for Hosseini was the same 11 starting. And the Wells game physically was extremely challenging. You know, you think about them challenging for every single 50-50 running for 100 and what was it, 11, 115 minutes. So it would have took a lot out of them. And then the same 11 coming into this game. And as you said earlier, some of the players being unfit prior to the tournament as well. Again, I, th I think it could have been managed a little bit better. Yeah, that, that was the starting 11, pretty much, if I'm not mistaken, all the same, except for Bayron Vaughn coming back into the starting goalies. But I think that kind of uh, defines it, that he, it was always his. It just was a matter of can he even play, uh, no matter what Hossein Honseini did uh, against Wales, which was very respectable. But Bayron Vaughn uh, did come back in. Do we think Bayron Vaughn made a difference, guys? I don't think it was 
I can't blame him for any for the goal. I can't. I don't think he was shaky or caused anything like that. I thought. I thought the goal was just the the product of of some really good football. Um, you know, when you play a diagonal ball, a first time diagonal ball like that, is very difficult against teams to defend against. And I thought Iran generally defended really well on the wings, even though they were pressed back. They pressed back Iran's fullbacks really down, really far down the pitch. It was it was an obvious tactic by Berhalter to prevent Iran to overload the wings by having a very attacking mind and Anthony Robinson and um, Serginio Dest just marauding down and having a midfield that that pressed so much and pressed so intensely that whenever they won the ball, they played the first time pass all the time. So, so for me, the goal is more down to that's just a beautiful football goal of football um, for me more than more than anyone screwing up per se. Um, so I, I thought I uh, know I don't think Beiranvan was I thought he did everything he could do. Um, I don't really see him as 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 or you know any reason behind this loss. I think he took what he needed to do. He saved what he needed to save, and I I just feel that the midfield point that you were talking about, Aria. Um, yes, I agree with that. I think that the, there is a lack of quality there. And it's a very important part of the of the uh, of the pitch. That's how you win tournaments. I mean, Italy in 2021 won the Euro 2020. You won Euro 2020 because they had the best central midfield in the tournament. They didn't have a striker up front that could score to save his life in, in Ciro Immobile, but they had a plethora of talent in the central midfield that dominated against every single team except for Spain in one game, um, and they won that on penalties. But other than that, I mean, the central midfield is where it's at. You have to have central midfielders that can do more than one thing, that can run, that can win the ball, that can create, that have a good shot on them, that can cross. Iran have a little bit, don't really have that. And I feel when people talk about Godus, I mean, i got to be honest, um, yes, I think he offered some things. I agree with what Sina said. I think I, I, 100%, I would have packed the midfield as well. I would have played a 4-5-1 straight up with Taremi up front and had Asmoon on the bench. I think that's a spot-on analysis. That's exactly how I would have approached it as well. But for me, Qodus's quality, the lack of final ball quality, the lack of quality in the final third that Qodus shows time and time again, I think is a problem. I really do. Uh, and and it's nothing, you know, you it's the national team. You've got the players you've got. I want to add something. I think it's an interesting one because, um, you know, we look at, we have to look at games that we've played um, we played against Uruguay uh, in September and we played against a midfield three of Valverde, Bentancur and uh, Vecino, right? Top midfielders and we played unbelievably well and we had Samuel Godos, Ezatolai and Haisafi. And that's a game where we went and pressed and pressed and pressed all day and worked our socks off. The problem with that is it looked great, but that's not sustainable in a, in, a, in a competition, right? You can't do that when you've played two 90-minute games or maybe even more than that, and you've lost a game against England, you've you've worked hard to win a game against Wales, and then you want to do that against a, a midfield like the US have. Tyler Adams is a top, top midfielder. I'm not surprised, you know, he got a move. Is it to Leeds United, if I'm not mistaken? You know, he, he's a top midfielder. Um, Winston McKenney is a, a favourite of Allegri and Juventus um, Younes Musa playing in Valencia is a fantastic player like he he was man on, of the match for me he was, fa- he was fabulous to watch he was really Agreed. good 
And then you add in the likes of Pulisic and Weah, who have real pace and real energy. And then on top of that, you've got, uh, again, Anthony Robinson and Serginho Dest, who were, as you said, marauding forward. And then the key to that, the, the absolute key to the to the USA game was actually the striker, Josh Sargent, who was so vital to how they played. He wasn't really that much involved in the game, but just his little movements, his his ability to create space for his teammates, his first touch, he's actually the kind of player that we want Osmond to be sometimes. You know, he's that kind of player who you'd like Osmond to be, creating space, getting in behind getting coming short getting the ball because Osmond has those qualities but he just the fitness and the he's just not getting game time at Leverkusen so Josh Sargent who is also playing if I'm not mistaken he was playing in Bundesliga now he's playing for uh, Norwich City Norwich City yeah um, you know and he he's doing unbelievably well for for the US national team now even though he didn't actually start a last game he got benched by by Beryl Harter so the US team is well built, what is what I'm trying to get at here. The problem with the Iran team is we have good players, but they're not well built to play a certain way. Like for instance, you know, when we had Omid Ibrahimi, Vaid Amiri, uh, you know, in midfield, we were built to play a certain style of football. We could defend for 90 minutes. Now we have Ahmad Nurullahi and Esan Haisafi in midfield. Those two players, they're kind of like just like you know, just normal footballers as well. I don't know how to put it. They don't really have anything special to offer. So, and then you've got a guy like Saeed. He, he isn't the Saeed of four years ago. Is that all he his he's, he's digressed a lot, and it's it's his fault. He chose to go to Qatar in January. He played six months. He didn't play well at all for Al Rafa. Now he's he's he didn't get a move in the summer. He didn't choose to go to a Portuguese team, which he was gonna go to, and then. He stayed in, in Viola Bolt Club in the Danish second tier. Now we've got a midfield of him and a guy who's playing in, in the UAE league. You know what I mean? And you want to go up against the midfield and the talent that the US have. It's it's impossible. It's actually it's actually like if I, if you look at it on paper, it's actually an embarrassment. It's not embarrassment, but like it's like it's like um you you you're arrogant to think that you could beat a team of that standard with the team that you have, you know? So again, and, and, and the, 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 the stamp I'm going to put on it is it comes back to the Persian Gulf Pro League. It comes back to our domestic league. I've said this so many times. We said it when we were interviewing Khoda Bandalu and Arvin Javad as well. The, the issue is we do not produce midfielders at all at a good standard. You know, after Nick Lunam retired, Said came in. Who else really came in after him? Nobody. There's mm. not been any midfielders produced, and it's not down to oh, like we don't like we, you know they're not we we can't Iran can't produce. They can produce players. We've got players. It's just that position in the Persian Gulf Pro League is kind of un underutilized. And if you watch Persian Gulf Pro League matches, very underutilized is that central midfield position. A lot of the play is wide play and it's lifting up in the box and it's not necessarily intricate passing and trying to build out from the back and then you know and that, that's just out of the coaching that's just the reality so we don't produce midfielders at youth level or in clubs and until we do that 
we cannot compete against countries like the US, in my opinion. Arya, that's a good point because it was the England based, uh, with Musa, the, the La Liga based, and uh, and the Italy based players who won the game for the United States. So, Genio Dest, uh, on the right, uh, and McKinney, uh, I believe it was, was and it then, McKinney? yeah, sorry, McKinney, sorry to cut yeah. you off there. Um, Brendan Aronson, where does he play? Is he playing England as well? Yep. Again, another player came on, not Megs Magitosini. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be rude, but those players that are playing are up here now. They're at a standard. They've set a bar for themselves. We haven't. We haven't. And they're really that. young, the United States. That's the thing. I mean, this team is supposed to be ready in four years' time when they host the World Cup. And they already show a level of maturity and, and a level of, of a, a high level that they play at. And, and, and it's so, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. And it's a good point because you look at other Asian nations, you look at countries like Japan mm-hmm. and South Korea, they're producing players today. They're producing players for the future. Our team in four years' time is not defined today. We don't know what our team is going to look like in the 2026 World Cup. Nope. And four years ago, we kind of understood that we were going to have the same crop, and we do. We have pretty much the same players. A lot of them are going to retire or they're going to get a bit older and they're going to get they're going to move on a little bit. In four years' time, do we have a team that's going to be better than this team? I don't think so at this point I th- in time. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's something I'm worried about. Um, I mean, Godus is 21, 29 years old. Um, you know what I think? I think I think he should be playing centrally in midfield. I would have loved to have him because I think his his dynamism is something we lack in midfield. And I think the fact that he he's one of the few players in Iran, and you know, in qualifying, we've seen him play in midfield when when Iran have needed him to. I think Iran have been pretty good there. But look, it's it's like putting a you know again, it's a Snoopy Band Aid situation, isn't it? Um, we we're not producing those kinds of players in the most important area of the pitch, and that's what the midfield is. I mean, again. If you look at the best teams in the world, if you look at whether it's club level or national team level, they are producing top level midfielders who are dynamic, they're good with the ball, they can create, they can shoot, they can they can surprise you and they can give you everything and and, because everything goes through the middle and Iran just aren't doing that. See, now you you follow the the Persian League a little bit closer than I do. What, What do you make of that? Uh, to be honest, I, at this point, I, I I don't really disagree. I think I, you're absolutely right with everything you said. But again, in the context context of this tournament that we're in, these are the plays that we have. So do we just give up and not turn up? So, you know, again, four years ago, are you telling me that although that team was better than the team that we have now, it was of the same quality that Portugal and Spain had? Or even Morocco? No, we still turned up. So although you're you're right, and, and I can sit here and have the conversations with you for, for two, three weeks straight over... What needs to be done? Not just that, yep, we're not producing enough, but what needs to change for us to produce more? But me and you both know that's not going to happen for the same reason that it's not happened for the last 30 years. Because there is no investments, whether it's into coaching, whether it's into the youth level, whether it's into infrastructure um, or, or any sort of plan. And even if there is a plan in place, we are not going to produce the likes of McKenney or, or Tyler Adams just going to produce better players at, at an Asian level that better than what we have now. So again, th- this is this is the situation that we are in at the moment. So the question is, yes, with the 26 or 25-man squad that we had in this tournament, and especially approaching the game against the United States, having had the three points and all we needed was a draw, 
And I think that that would have been a possibility and that could have been a possibility. Again, it's the World Cup we're talking about. Whatever team you go up against, they're going to have players playing at the highest levels in the world. But we're still here for a reason. You know, and I, I always, again, refer back to 2018 World Cup where we were comparing it to the current circumstances. I, for me, we had less hope because Morocco was African champions. Portugal and Spain are Portugal and Spain. But we still managed to get four points and it came within a kick from going into the second round. With this game as well, I think if the correct changes in the second half would have been made, if there was a... a a well-drilled plan B was in place. We could have got a goal in the second half, but the the, the part that really annoys me and that has always been the case on the Carlos Carriage, and that's one thing I guess will never change, even if we go back 10 years ago or move forward 10 years from now, is that there, there, there will never be a plan B. There will never be a kind of intricate drill off the training ground in which you can put into play in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the attacking third. In the last 20 minutes, all we saw was just him putting on the attacking players. Okay, you, you put on more attacking players. What is the actual plan other than hoofing it up? What, what is the plan other than us getting a kind of a winning a header and, and looking for a second ball or a deflection to, to get the goal? What plan do we actually have here? And, and for me, that's the biggest disappointment because we come into a game like this, it's very, very likely for the for the exact reasons that you pointed out audio because of the quality that us have it's very likely that we'll go a goal behind so we need to have a plan in place to to, to come back from that but yet again we sit here um discussing the fact that we've gone one nil down behind what one nil behind and, and we've not been able to to turn that around this again disappointingly because i think as good as us were second half they took their foot off the gas and that's where i think we we could have done better that's that's where I, I I thought we might have seen a a play something from the training ground that was rehearsed or something because after all we did see it from the United States the goal they had was absolutely drawn up that's not something that they just thought oh hey I'll just kick it up and think see if something happens like Iran kind of did in the second half just long ball after long ball hoping that six foot six or whatever defender from the United States didn't win it every single time, which they did 90% of the time, which me, leads me to ask, um, Nima, I'll ask you this because we discussed this in the, in the last episode in a matchup between Karosh and Greg Bearhalter. I think we had a simple uh, choice of who we thought, who we trusted more with getting a result, especially when the advantage Karosh had only needed a, a, a draw. Did this come down to, uh, in a sense, Bearhalter conquering uh, the, the the plan set by Kirosh? I think it's there's, there's certainly an aspect of that, yes. Um, I think there's no doubt that I agree with, with what Sina said um, about how there, this is this is who Kairos is. This is what he was at Real Madrid. This is what he was in Portugal. This is what he this is who he is. Um, he's not going to change. Uh, what he produces is defensive organization. He he delivers uh, a structure, but the final third, in order to break down teams, in order to have that kind of plan B, as 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 Sina's referring to, in terms of creativity, that that will that takes years to to first of all implement in a national team. And well, Kairos has never really done that. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that he trusts his offensive attacking players to kind of resolve it on an individual basis 
Um, and and you didn't see that. And whilst Greg, Greg Rohalter had a he had a complete plan of how he wanted to do. He, you know, he knew that his team will will run out of gas. Okay, well, in the first half, when they're not running, when they're full, when they're when, when the tank is full, keep keep pushing, keep pressing, keep going after, score that goal. And then try as much as you can in the second half. And Iran did have did start the second half better, but I feel that both individually, both psychologically, and both tactically, they were left wanting on the day. Um, so I can't, you know, I, I think the United States. Congratulations to them. I think they won deservedly. Um, I think it's really interesting to see that now, again, four years too early that they're through to the second round and. And it's um, it's it's depressing because I was looking now whilst listening to you guys. I mean, how many players under twenty five is there in this Iran squad? One, one, Jaloli, one, one player under twenty five. That's what I'm saying. I, I I don't know, I don't know. You know, obviously the game has happened. We lost. We were at the World Cup, and now we need to think forward. Yeah, the Asian Cup is next next winter, January twenty twenty four. Um. We need to think about building that. Can we start producing players that obviously Asia is different from the world? I'm not saying we're gonna, you know, we can't win the Asian. Of course, we can win the Asian Cup. Sure, we can. But we're we're also building for the next World Cup, right? So we need to make sure that, for for instance, people like Muhammad Khodabandilu, people like Yossi and Salmoni, people like Samana Fala, Awal Faz Jalali. Um, people like that who were in the squad who just got cut. Uh, can these players now be pushed on and introduced to the national team and potentially be starters by twenty twenty six? We shall see. I think it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take a real effort to get our young players ready. I want to add one thing though. I think it's very interesting because you know I think we should speak about this because obviously the World Cup's finished now for us and you know we can reflect on what's happened with qualification and whatnot. Scorchish got sacked. Um, he was our coach during qualification. Obviously, Wilmots was from the earlier part of qualification. Scorchish, in my opinion, rightly got sacked because he lost the dressing room. The players didn't want him, right? Some of the players did, but most of the players didn't. And there was a big split in the team, and everyone knows what happened. Should they have brought back Carlos Queiroz? Well, he was the only option, right? There was no other option to bring anyone back, right? So they're always going to have to bring back Carlos Kiroz. But do we think that... Who do... Do we think, for, for instance, if Herbert Renard, for instance, Oof. had taken the job when Kiroz left? Because if you remember, it was very close to happening. You know, he didn't take it because uh, Taj, Mehdi Taj, wanted to get someone in earlier because we had two games against uh, Iraq and Bahrain. Uh, sorry, against Cambodia and Hong Kong, if I'm not mistaken, and we got Wilmots in, and obviously we saw what happened with him. Do we think that in hindsight, Sina, potentially, if Herbert Renard did take the job, it would have been different. You look at how Saudi Arabia have played in the World Cup, do you think it would have been a different story? Maybe. I mean, he's obviously, as we've seen uh, in the last few years, um, he's a great manager. Uh, at international level, his achievements in Africa alone kind of speak for themselves. And of course, what he's achieved with Saudi Arabia, not just qualifying for the World Cup, but the kind of the way they qualified and the performances so far in the World Cup have been 
have been good as well. Of course, that historic win against Argentina will, will stay in memories for a, for a very, very long time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, based on the garbage that we brought, which was Mark Wilmot's, and as we discussed beforehand, yeah, there is there are good managers, there are normal managers, and then there is Mark Wilmot's. So, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, in compared comparison to him, have Renard would have been would have been fantastic. But in terms of Scottish getting the sack, yes, he he should have gone. But I I've always maintained that Kerish yes was the right decision. He just should have come in earlier. And obviously the circumstances weren't to meet weren't to be that way. But I think if he had maybe two more camps with with the team, it would have impacted it massively. Because you know we talk about the lack of Plan B for Kerish, but one thing I have always maintained is that he is incredible at preparations for the tournament he is fantastic on making sure that firstly he already has a, a very kind of solid idea of majority of the players that he's going to take to the tournament how to prepare them from two or three camps in advance mentally physically tactically um, obviously that wasn't the case in this tournament and actually i think when you look at the games against england and um against the us the areas of the pitch which we were really hurt are very similar. And I think that goes to show a lack of preparation, but also that you know our weaknesses were analyzed very well. Whether that's that's a technical, tactical weakness or an individual weakness, that's a separate discussion to have. Um, but now as well, going forward, I, I was just saying to some of the guys that we, we need to move on from Kairosh eventually. And there has to come a day where we just, we say, who, you know what, it's been, it's been great. Who comes but in though? Again, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, that's a very valid question, but this is the sort of questions that pe- people ask when they're in a toxic relationship. And I think it's not, it's not going to get any better than this. So yeah. I'm just going to stay here. You're absolutely right. Someone better <laughs> might not come in immediately, but you know, sometimes it's got to get worse for it to get better. One name that pops into my head, rightly or wrongly, because... One thing Nemo mentioned uh, that actually actually changed my mind a little bit in regards to this, and I'll get to it in a second. But the name that I've always thought about is Vahid Halilhodzic, the manager who got sacked from Morocco. He took Algeria to the to the World Cup in 2014, got them to the second round. Plays very similar to Carlos Queiroz, very uh, kind of disciplined individual. Um, so I think that 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 looks like a good fit. However, Nemo mentioned a very good point that you know if we want a good attacking team you know, with a lot of chemistry, will take years to build. And that's absolutely right, which is why it's it's international level. In every continent, you see majority of the teams, especially the ones kind of below the top three, play kind of very defensive, very pragmatic. With the next World Cup, not being 32 teams anymore, is it 48 or 46? 48? That gives Iran a little bit more room for practicing, for trialing new ideas and new formations new systems and whilst it is competitive if we failed to qualify for a 48 world cup then i think even more you know having said that about Mark Rinmos, i think even he could have qualified us for that so i think having a, a manager who who has ideas going forward in terms of in the attacking sense can benefit us whilst not worrying about the qualification process because that's been the worry in the past i think also there's a case to be made. I don't know if this is even a possibility, but Stramacchioni, uh, who obviously was a coach at Estelle and obviously Nima will come on to you as well, you know, more about him than me, but mm. 
you know, he was actually at one of the, I think it was actually, he was actually at the Wales game. Like, he was actually there in the stadium. I think you posted a picture of him, Nima. Um, he's an option. I think, I know he had a bit of a hard, uh, you know, exit with uh, Estherlal and obviously didn't get paid and all these kind of things, but he could be an option to come in. I think he would he would bring something fresh to this national team. Strama, Stramachani is, if you're looking to build, if you're looking to go through a generational shift, if you're looking to build with a new group of players, a new core of young players, if you're looking to play a modern attacking football, that is what he is good at um, at this level. Um, he's not, I've seen him at Inter. I mean, obviously that, that was a completely different situation with the way that he was thrown in. He won the next gen youth tournament. Inter were in a bit of a crisis. Massimo Moratti appointed him. He had a good derby. Then they give him the entire season. He showed, you know, it was an aging squad at Inter. The things were just generally, I mean, it was Inter's banter era, quote unquote. Um, and he didn't really do well. And then since then, he's been kind of a vagabond. But the thing is, Iran's a very special place to be the manager of. The Iranian national team is a very special federation. He understands after his um, after his experience how it works. Um where in it to work in Iran, but given everything we've said, and to build on your point, Sina, with a forty-eight world, with a forty-eighteen World Cup, this gives you that kind of leverage and room to qualify. This gives this gives you uh, the, the 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 extra room to say, okay, maybe you don't need to, maybe you don't need to, to you know, <laughs> to worry about qualifying because there's so many spots. So therefore, you can look at it kind of, you know. Um, a little bit more long term, and if that is an option, I think Andrea Stramaccioni would be spot on, absolutely spot on. Yeah, I don't know if he if he takes the job, um, just based on his experience at Estelle. I don't know if he takes it, but could be a good option. Um, anyway, let's move on. He would, he would one hundred percent take the job for the really? same reason. That, yeah. For the same reason. Is that was that why he was Carlos, there at the Wales game. Listen, for yeah. the same reason that Carlos Kairos is taking the job for what is it now 11 years despite constantly kind of threatening to resign so many problems there is there are problems but iran for for good or the bad they pay good money for the quality of the manager that comes in so believe me he would take the job I, if he was offered it. i would take him i think he not... would, i would i think he would do a good job i think one of the things that actually i'll, I'll, I'll just quickly say this point uh, at Estegol, Sarmacone and brought in that kind of three-to-back formation. Uh, Kairos tried it against Wales, uh, against England, didn't work. But the best game, and I've said this a, a few times, the best game I saw on Skocic for the national team was against Bosnia. And we played a back three. And that was one of the only games that Osmond and Tarmi didn't actually play any part in. Maybe he comes in and does that. I don't know. We'll see. I think Stamachoni would be would be good if if we're taught everything we've spoken about young players a new generation playing attacking football giving you know giving playing a different kind of midfield and also not risking World Cup qualification okay you you, you flop in the Asian Cup I don't care about that the, if you're looking to do that and also long term I would I think Strama would be ideal and also he's already been exposed to Iran he understands Iranian culture he understands Iranian players there's not going to be any like time there's not going to be a team he, he understands the rubbish that comes with it all he, un- no, no, all he, he understands, understands most importantly he understands inshallah tomorrow that's the 
you know, if you get no, but you know what I mean. Like, there's no teething period. He understands Iran. He he knows the culture. He knows the people. He understands Iranian football. He knows what he's getting himself into, and uh, so so I think oh, that that's a good choice. Right. Uh, it's a good chat. This, uh, although I, I got to say, I'm already down, and then Cena started bringing up Mark Wilmots. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It could always be worse. I guess that's what Cena's trying to get out. I mean, I definitely felt I'm, worse. I, I, I'm telling I, you, the day to the day I die, I will complain about Mark Wilmots because I ripped myself into pieces saying, "Don't bring this guy," and they still too. did. And we saw what happened. So believe me, whether I die at 40 or 80, I will remember that for the rest of my life. And if you die before me, there will be one person after you uh, who says that until the day he dies, because I was with you right there all along. Can That's you imagine amazing. that Belgium just wasted the golden generation on Mark Wilmots and Roberto Martinez? I mean, it's just astonishing. It could be worse. It can always be worse. Well, it, it, <laughs> See, this gave... is what happened, Samson. You mentioned the name. And then everybody goes on around. Yeah, well, I mean, you get you gave uh, you gave Arya the the biggest smile he's had in, in a week. So at least there's that. <laughs> I mean, we all had a good laugh with that. All right, well, guys, we're gonna switch into fan questions now, and we we got plenty, a lot that we did answer during the episode. Um, one uh, that does uh, stand out. Uh, where was it? Uh, we had. Uh, I'm just gonna paraphrase here. Um, on Instagram, E underscore Rafaf asked, why on earth Karos change our best player, Wooly Zadeh? I actually think he did quite well. I thought a lot of the production came from him, just like in the Wales match. Uh, was it wise to take him out? He wasn't really doing much towards the end of the game. I think that, that's probably one of the issues with this team. I probably didn't say it enough is lack of, lack of pace. I think the lack of Syed Manish in this team, a lack of actual pace off the bench someone to come on and take somebody on and provide a little bit of speed on the on the flank just a little bit of speed you know nothing nothing that doesn't even super skillful just that speed we didn't have it Goizara isn't a a quick player he's not going to be that player and I think once he he loses his effectiveness on the game which he had he had some ability he had some good moments in the game uh, today once he loses that though he doesn't really have any more impact on the game. So I think they got to the point where Kairos was like, no, let's just take him off and just bring on an extra body and put Carryman sorry, fired up front. Did it Was the right choice to make? In hindsight, probably not. Maybe you could have taken off Saeed and, and just stuck Ali Karimi in the middle and put someone next to him, you know, and just made it a 4-4-2, for instance, you know, and, and kept Kairos there, put Torabi on the left, whatever it may be, rather than taking off uh, you know, I get the point. It probably would have been a good idea just to keep him on, just for extra creativity, but it wasn't to be at the end. Uh, yeah. Uh, we also had uh Saman Hulu's stand account say, "Why always Iran?" Sad face. Yeah, you and me both, bro. <laughs> um. Uh, farb zero dp asked, "Is it over for this generation of Iranian?" football we do we do have the asian cup in about a couple of years or so uh and then 2026 for the u.s yeah see now can you speak about that when when the next asian cup is it kind of the schedule up to from here to the to till then yeah so the asian cup's been moved to january 2024 and it'll be in qatar rather than china yeah it was supposed, it was supposed to be to china be. yeah and it was then COVID. between south korea and, and and qatar and obviously why would south korea get it when qatar 
is there for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, that'll be in January 2024. In terms of the question, yes and no. Um, 16 or 17 of the players in 2018 were also involved in the current squad. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know. You know, there'll be a lot of players moving on. Um, Kenny Mansori Fad, we mentioned, will be will be one of them. Um, Esan Hosafi, probably another one. So there are some players that are over the age of 30 that, that move on, but there is still a lot of players in the current squad that will remain. You know, Milad Mohammadi, Ali Holizadeh, Ali Rizal Jahan Bash, Taremi, Osmoon, Azatullahi, etc. I could, I could carry on, Majid Hosseini. But change is needed. And I think that's one of the best things that Kerish has taught us that we've never had in our history is transitioning from one generation to another without it affecting any of the results and performances and whether he is here for the next Asian Cup or not I think there are players that can step in obviously Arya mentioned some of them Yasin Salmoni is um, is is one that obviously comes to mind straight away Hossein Zadat Charleroi um, and Lohyar of course I think he can be very very good point because I thought of it today during the game this would have been a perfect game for him against the US so there are some players yeah. coming in we don't need to change the 25 man squad you know within six months but there will be gradual kind of change in the next um, in the next few months I don't think Tarimi will be there in four years' time, but I do think someone like Sardar Azmoun. No, I, I think Tarimi will be there. He you may reckon? not be. Yeah, he will be mm. in the squad. I mean, he, he he's mm. he's at mm. a stage now where he's still playing well for his club. Maybe next season well, it'll be the same. He might not be at the peak of his game, but look at Ansari Fard. I think Ansari Nima, the only the only thing he's got going for him is his intelligence. He's never relied on a pace. Mm. Um, so you know, if he loses his legs, he can still contribute without necessarily having to keep up with with everyone else. So. Obviously, ideally, we want to move on, but us Iranians never move on, do we? We <laughs> like to keep things until the very last second. He'll yeah. play until he's four years old. I guarantee you, he'll be the national team. I, I can see, <laughs> I can see him being like one of those guys who is like a Danny Alves. He's still there, you know. What I mean, a twenty thirty World Cup, <laughs> you know. What I mean, which is great, you know. He's a top top. We've not produced a, a guy like him. For, for a long time. So I mean, how old was Ali Dai when the last, when he played in the last World what, Cup? 37, 38. Yeah, I was gonna that. say, yeah, so, it was a journey. Yeah. yeah. Um also on Instagram, uh at Ruzba SA asks, uh, next official game. I like the mentality. Um answer to that's probably the Asian Cup officially. We don't have any game scheduled. The World Cup qualifiers, no? Uh first, uh, first yeah. round, no? No. I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure I think he will I think he will start, but we wouldn't be involved. Yeah, that, that schedule hasn't been released yet, I don't think, either. Um, moving on then on uh, Twitter. Um, our friend Martin Lowe, Asian football writer, uh, also part of the uh, Asian Game podcast, he asked us, uh, what next? Can Karish or this team go again at the Asian Cup, or is this the end of this generation? With little to no young players coming through in this squad, what would you like to see in a post-World Cup Iran? I know we were speaking about it uh just a few minutes ago but yeah again there will be some holes to fill and a lot of experimenting to be done hopefully the game the game time can be available to do that yeah no i think i think um for me i would i would this this graduate what sino was talking about is so important you know if you look at what croatia have done i mean they were also a country that had a golden generation and then crashed after 98. And then they had another golden generation. But now, 
I mean, now that you see that they have they have learned to to gradually change and not you know not not have, rely on just a root of seven eight players. They get they get old and then restart everything from from scratch. No, you have to continuously refresh. Um, and I think that that's what I would want to do. I want Iran to appoint first of all resolve the manager situation as soon as possible. Bring someone in, write a long-term contract, expressly state to the person that the goal is the, the World Cup in 2026. That's when you need to deliver. You need to be there and you need to deliver there. That's the express goal. And then build towards that. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and start, you know, whoever that is, start gradually, you know, bringing players in and out. Don't go in there like a, you know, and, and throw half the team out and throw, you know, start. No, no, do it gradually. A good question I liked uh, that can uh, can apply to going forward in the years to come. Have any of the players? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start again. This was at Simon Golami 27 on Twitter. Have any of the players justified a move to a better team after this World Cup? Personally, think Ezutalaki, Tarami, Olizade, and Rezaian could be of interest to a lot of clubs. Yeah, great question. Uh, great question. Um, yeah. Potentially Rodriguez are there. I think Rodriguez uh, had a, a move kind of due for a little while now. Uh, he kind of made a massive mistake. Um, I think, as I said, I thought he was scammed by Charleroi for extending his contract until twenty twenty seven. Why? Why? I I asked him on the when I interviewed him. He said because the club was wanting a financial benefit from it. Why would you allow your club to have that? I mean, you 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 need to think about yourself. You know, I thought Bayot scammed him. Honestly, I thought you got absolutely scammed. Uh, and now he's linked to that club for another couple of years. It's it's madness. I don't like more than a couple of years. A few over a little over what four years now. So he 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 deserved a move a couple of seasons ago. Had a bad season. And now he's having like an average season. Jose Nzade is actually playing ahead of him sometimes, which when you come back to again back to the squad list, maybe Jose Nzade should have been in the squad for, for that reason. Maybe because obviously Jan Bash got suspended today. We didn't have an extra winger. So there might have been an option for him to play today. So anyway, back to Jose Nzade, I think he could be in the pipeline for a move. I think guys like Romero Zayon, probably not. I think he's pretty much past it now. I think he had a great raw cut, but but by his standards, that's probably the best he's going to get at this point in his career. Moharami was a bit unlucky not to play more in the World Cup. I feel like he played pretty well, actually, against England. I thought he had a decent game. Had had good Champions League performances. Played against Pulisic in the, in the Champions League. Didn't get a chance to do that in the World Cup. You know, maybe in hindsight, that could have been an option. Um, But... Yeah, a few players like Majid Hosseini potentially. We'll see with him. You know, he's had a kind of a, a weird, weird time with the national team. He had a really good 2018 World Cup, had a oh, pretty bad Asian Cup for himself, gave away a penalty against Oman. He didn't have a great game against England. He played a bit better against Wales. Wasn't bad today, but he was, I think, at fault to some extent for the goal as well lack of marking in that final third. So I think Majid's had some issues uh, here and there with his performance, but he's always he's, a, he's always a guy who bounces back, and I think he will find a move at some point in his career. Nemo, uh, sorry, Ariel. Um, putting aside the obvious choices, Tony and Osmoon, 
or so you watch Serie A religiously, which one of these players, maybe not Reza Yan, for obvious reasons, <laughs> as, 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 as Arya mentioned, but which of them do you think has the capacity to play even not at a kind of a good level at kind of bottom bottom half size in, in Serie A? Because we've not really had any place in, no. in Italy since Rahman Rezaei. I think Ezzatollahi for sure, for the player he is, because of the fact that he's a kind of a regista. Uh, but I don't think him, uh, but I just want to, like, I don't, I don't see him. I mean, just in terms of the type of player he is and when he's at his best, when it's ticking, um, I think he would be in, in a league like the Serie A, even though the Serie A is changing. It's no longer the slow league generally it is. The top 10 teams, especially the top seven teams, are very, very high, are, are more and more high, high intensity, high passing tempo teams. But I think Ezatollah, just because of the character player he is, at an Empoli, at a Monza, at a, you know, so, some team like Lecce, you know, that kind of a deep-lying midfield playmaker, I really would love to see him go to, to one of those teams. Yeah, he, uh, he reminds me of like a, a, a Milinkovic Savage type, you know, type of player who's obviously played for Lazio. But the thing with Said is, I love Said. I, th- I think he's... He's been he's my favorite player internationally. I think he's a brilliant yeah, me player. Too. Me I think too. you saw the game against Wales, great performance. So if you watched the game against Uruguay in, in, in September, brilliant performance, fantastic footballer, but really bad choices in his career and a lot of bad injuries in his career and bad luck as well. So. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and the fact that he plays in Denmark is is just bizarre. But I in mean, the second tier, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just it's so strange. It's I, so I just, bad, so so silly. I don't know who's advising him, um, and and you know, I, I feel I feel so bad for him. But but I do think that he is the type of player that I think would develop and do really well in a Serie A because they they know how to develop those kinds of players that type of midfielder that that kind of creative deep lying midfielder is something but that they know do, how do to you think play. a Serie A club would come in for a guy who's playing in the second tier of Danish football maybe a Ser- well, maybe a Serie B club potentially well you, that's exactly it i mean would you know because they're so good at scouting in, in the Serie A the lower Serie A teams and the Serie B clubs they know how to find these kind of hidden gems globally i mean just look at J- Lecce this season the way that they came up and, and how they've surprised many teams uh, by finding players that nobody knew who they were, but they knew because of the, the fact that the Italian sporting director is when he's at his best, he's, there's no one like him. Um, yes, I think a Serie B, I, I would really like to see him next season, maybe in a Serie B side, at a side like a Spal or someone else who hasn't come up to the Serie A yet, but but slowly can go up to the Serie A. And then, 100%. Th- th- he th- would, that, he I would, would love to see that. He'd become a great player. In my oh, opinion. Undoubtedly. I mean, given that, I mean, you have to understand, look at the coaches in the Serie B right now. Filippo Inzaghi, Daniele De Rossi, Fabio Grosso, Fabio Cannavarro. Like, these are quality, these are, you know, Fabio Pecchia. Like, these are so, so many good quality um, coaches, up-and-coming young Italian coaches who are great players themselves, are now all establishing themselves in the Serie B. So he would have, he would have been coached by a former world-class player if he were to have gone to a, to a top Serie B side. And that would have been fantastic news for this for the for Iranian national team, undoubtedly. Yeah, I want to turn things, you know, maybe looking towards the future just a little bit, just to not drag on uh, the recapping of coulda, woulda, shoulda players during this, this last game because uh, we did plenty of that during the first hour 
of this. Uh, a little idea I have, guys. Uh, as of 2022, the way too early, uh, probably the way too early ideal starting lineup for Iran in 2026, after seeing what we have seen today, what would we like uh, out of these players? What kind of starting 11 would you like to see in four years from now? The whoever it is isn't born just now. Uh, so <laughs> that's <laughs> not joking. No, I think um, guys like Hossein Zadeh, guys like Alayar, guys like Gayedi, you know, why did he not make it in the squad? I'm not saying he should have been, but, you know, the talent he has, why did he, why did he not get in the squad? He should have been working his butt off to get in the squad. Unfortunately, he went to UAE back in Estherlama and where is he now? Mohebi. You know, these players should be playing in the national team. So that's what I want to see. One thing I thought was interesting when we interviewed uh, Saman uh, Hodus, uh, when we had our exclusive interview with him, uh, Ari, I believe it was you who asked him uh, who impresses him the most of this of this camp, uh, the, the, of the current national team camp at the time. And he did say, correct? Yeah, he did. He did. And I think he's a top player, but he's not in form. Rightly wasn't called up, um, but he's got so much talent. And uh, it's a shame to see these talents wasted. I think hopefully 2026 is a is a time where we see some more talents come to fruition. And hopefully we can start building for the future. Nima, what's your take? Oof. Um, <laughs> you really put me on the spot here. I, I've barely, I'm, I'm so drained. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to look. I, I'll tell you what I want. I'll tell you what I wish for 2026. I wish that we, whether it's, I don't care about the formation, whether it's a three, five, two or a three, four, two, one or a four, three, three. I don't care. I want to, I, in football, what I, what I'm attracted to, what I like is a long-term sustainable, coherent project. That's what I want. I want the next national team captain, national team coach, to be in 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 the on the same page with the president of the federation, and I want them to have a coherent plan. I don't care if it's Dramatoni, I don't care if it's an Iranian coach. I want a coherent, long-term project with an idea. Who are we? What is Iranian football? What do we want to do with Iranian football? What does it mean to play in this national team? What kind of football do we stand for? All of those things. I want a clear, coherent project moving forward, not just for the next four years, but for the next four to 12 years. That's what I want to see. Um, and how it looks, who does what, you know, there are far more intelligent people and more competent people at me than me to decide that. But I want them to make that decision. I don't want them to be, to be as reactionary as they were last time when they brought in Wilmot's sorry to trigger Cena again, because as soon as I mentioned his name, I saw his eyes just you know, fire come out. But no, no, seriously, I, that was to me just a reactionary take because it was like, oh, let's just bring a big name in. He did well with Belgium. Let's bring him. No, I want something coherent, long-term and, and a clear identity of what we want to do and, and a goal to work towards and then build on that and build towards that and tweak it as you go along. Cena, any uh, notable players you'd like to see uh, grow into the 2026 World Cup? Yeah, as I was saying, it's it's really difficult to 
point out any players for the same reason that Nemo just uh, just alluded to. Uh, because there is no specific plan in place, we can't just look to the kind of the under-23s team, for example, to say, oh, these players, you know, they, they, there is a clear path for them. You know, they might be, they might have the talent at 23, but we can see a path for them to turn that from the age of 22 to the age of 25, which is, I think, one of the key age groups, you know, where you turn the, the technical talent into actual output on on the pitch um but also what we've got to realize is that iran has a tendency to produce players who come out a little bit later in their career you know in 2014 if you had asked the question who would you see who would you think you would be able to see in 2018 as one of the key players no one would have pointed out mehdi Toremi, even though Toremi had just moved to perspolis um during the during the world cup same thing with Vahid Amiri, you know, who got his professional contract at the age of 23, 24, I think. And then he started some of the games in the 2015 Asian Cup. So if there is a clear scouting and um, kind of scouting in, in place for, for the leagues, there are some players who can do and who can come in and do a job. But again, going back to what both of the guys have mentioned we are not producing talents because there is no plan. Some of it is just by fluke. Some of it is purely for the for the reason that because so many kids play football at you know at a young age, it's a it's a kind of game of numbers, isn't it? One or two of them are, are bound to reach a, a decent level. You know, this is this is a sort of thing that China and India are investing so much in to get the young kids to play regularly after school, et cetera, so that, you know, the, the, the likelihood of, of talented players being produced is higher. So it's it's difficult to say at this point. Sina, I appreciate that uh, perspective. Arya, I appreciate your perspective as well, as always. And Nima, especially uh, for you for coming on uh, as a guest, a uh, recurring guest, uh, but every time you do come on, you bring in excellent insight as well. Um one thing I do want to say, guys, this has been just a thrill. Just the last eight months since the World Cup draw came out, drawing England and drawing the United States in this World Cup, having a World Cup in the Persian Gulf with so many friends of ours making the trip. It has been such a thrill to just simply produce this content, have these conversations and put them out throughout the interwebs. Uh, for all to see, we have had countless, it seems, interviews uh, on other podcasts. Arya, Sina, uh, Sahan, uh, Daniel, uh, myself even a couple of times for some reason. Uh, we've stretched our arms even more, uh, which is why we ask uh, even more for listeners. Uh, if if you do love Team Ali, uh, feel free to tell your friends, your family, um, that one cool dude who owns that Iranian restaurant in your city. Because we're all in uh, other countries. Arya is in Scotland. Uh, Sina is in London. Other Sina's in London. Daniel's in, I, I believe, Paris, right? Um, Sahan's from the West Coast. I myself, I'm from the South. Uh, I'm missing my cowboy hat right now. Uh, but we all share one common uh, love, and that is Iranian uh, football. And through whatever controversies, whatever turmoil there may be, we all come united for that. And that's what the the group of players uh, representing Iran can do for us, whether uh, you agree or disagree with all of the nuances that are happening right now. Uh, and through this unity of this community, we gained uh, over a thousand subscribers on YouTube, 
just in the last couple of days. And we are uh, forever thankful for that. Uh, but at the same time, we'll continue producing much more content for uh, for the listeners, for all uh, lovers of Team Millie, whether it is the Persian Gulf Pro League, which, as Aria mentioned in the Twitter space, we will indeed be expanding on, uh, be it with Legionnaires, be it with the national team, uh, coaching rumors, uh, yeah. player development. Women's football as well. Women's, Potential. women's, uh, of course. Yeah, we, we did uh, a good bit on the uh, Women's Asian Cup. In fact, I'm still very salty that because uh they, they because india had covid they just completely wiped away iran's historic uh, sh- uh a clean sheet draw of india that was historic for I- iran women's football and iran's women's football will continue to develop and we will be there uh covering it all and we welcome all of the uh community on gold Vizan, and we thank you again uh any last uh, any last uh, parting words arya nima sina no, I thank you for me. Uh, it's been a, a a long, long ride since we started the coverage, since the first qualification match up until now. I've been on every single podcast uh, since then, <laughs> so it's been a bit of a it's been it's been hard work. It's been really hard work, but I've enjoyed it, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. So that's all I can say. I I just want to reiterate again how incredible what an incredible job you guys have done throughout these years to this the way that you have covered this team this national team with a going into this world cup has been second to none and i think what you just to build on what you said samson about building a community it's we are everywhere in the world but we are iranians and we do love our culture and we do love our heritage um and no matter where you are you will always be iranian and that has been probably the thing that has meant the most to me getting to know so many other people of Iranian heritage all over the world, um, uniting over their love for this national team. I think that is what I will carry with me to the, you know, as long as long as I live. And, and I think that's important to remember that, that we're not as divided as some would suggest, but we're actually quite more united. There is absolutely nothing I can add to that because that's <laughs> beautifully put. Um, Firstly, it's always good to have Nima on the podcast, always good to to hear his thoughts. But yeah, no, I completely agree. Audio has been doing an amazing job anyway, but everyone involved, I know you mentioned most of them, obviously there's Bobak and, and Pejbon as well, and everyone else behind the scenes. So yeah. amazing yeah, work, I shout out to Mahdi as well for the, of course. the unbelievable work that he's done. Absolutely. Uh, graphics, but also yourself, yes. Sam- Samson. Samson, if people don't know listeners, he edits our podcast, recently started doing video podcasts now, which is even harder to, to produce. Actually, the last podcast took us uh, two days almost to put out because it was too much. It was a massive uh, like gigabytes of files. So it's a lot of work on, on Samson Mahdi, and we're all working as a, as a team to, to bring it. And hopefully going forward, we can continue. There will be a day which Iran qualifies for the second round of the FIFA World Cup. Guys, whenever and wherever you are listening or watching this, just know that. And there will be a day in which the Iranian women's team qualifies for a women's FIFA World Cup. Until then, Gulbazan will be here and will be continuing to bring you the latest news, updates, speculation, all of the possible reports involving uh, soccer, football, calcio involving Iran. So until then, 
Uh, we'll see you and stay following us on social media and YouTube because we're not going anywhere. So stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Steven Basher, former Iranian national team player, and you guys are listening to Golgazan Podcast. Enjoy.